Happy first Sunday of summer. What do we say we all grab our chair and head outside? <laughs> Any of you are teachers, you know how well that usually turns out, right? In terms of attention spans. I love this time of year too, Pastor Alex. It's uh, always nice when that weather begins to warm up on a regular basis. And this is, this is kind of also a wedding season, wouldn't you say that? Anybody been involved in a wedding or going to be involved in a wedding soon? It's like my Facebook feed is just filled with weddings. And about a month ago, I had the chance to officiate at a wedding up on a beautiful farm in northern Harford County. And, you know, the thing about weddings is there's so much that goes into it to make it perfect. There's so much about pulling off that perfect event and making it a day that people will remember forever. And every detail is meticulously gone over. But somebody tell me, what's, what's the most important thing about a wedding? It's the bride, right? It's how the bride looks. And the bride always looks beautiful, doesn't she? I mean, you would never expect a bride to come out dressed like she's working for horses or something like that, right? She's always dressed in white, always gorgeous, always designed to be the centerpiece of the event. And I, I say that because I'm reminded that as we go through this series called Standing Out, that's what we're supposed to be, right? We're supposed to stand out as the bride of Christ, the church, the people of God are called repeatedly in Scripture the bride of Christ. And so we want to make sure that we ourselves come off looking good, not for ourselves, for the purposes of honoring God, but we want to be appropriate representatives, don't we? Okay, just seeing if you're still with me. I lost you when I said, let's go outside, right? All your thoughts, all your mind are out there or on what's coming up for lunch and all those good things. But bear with me for a few minutes this morning, and we'll, we'll see what it means to, again, be chosen by God to stand out. So let me start by asking you this question. Would you say that your life is beautiful? Now, I don't mean by that question, are you happy with your life? I hope you are, but I'm, I'm asking, I'm driving at something different this morning. What I'm really asking is, are other people attracted to the things that you value by the way you live your life? Can they see who you are, what you stand for, what's important to you by the way you live your life? See, again, as followers of Jesus, we are called to witness to the reality of the presence and the power of God. That's why we're here. That's why he didn't just take us off to be with him when we came to a relationship with him. We're here for a purpose, and that purpose is to witness to his presence and his power. But we can only do that authentically to the degree that we are experiencing that presence and power in our own lives. Only as we receive it can we give it away. Only as we actually let it transform us can we ever hope to transform anybody else through what they see in us. See, it's really easy to use words, right? It's really easy to say we believe this and that, but does our life reflect what we believe? Are we experiencing the presence and the power of God so that other people can see that God is present and that God is powerful? And the point is this, the more we live in this presence and power, then the more we will stand out in the world, and the more we will point others to the beauty of the kingdom of God, which again is our calling. 
We are the bride. And so I want to base this message this morning on something Jesus tells his disciples. On the night before he dies, as he's got them gathered around in the upper room, and he's talking in John 15, you know the passage about the vine and the branches, that we have to be connected, that he is in us and we are in him, and that's the way his life flows back into us. And he says this in John 15, 8. He says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's what being a witness is all about, right? This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You know me, I like to preach with alliteration, so I'm going to turn that around, and here's your takeaway for today. Our witness to the reality of Jesus Christ is reflected through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives offered as an act of worship to God. Let me slow that down. Our witness to the reality of Jesus Christ is reflected through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we offer them as an act of worship to God. If you were with us last Sunday, I was teaching on what it means to be an outstanding worshiper. That it begins with an attitude like John the Baptist who says, I must become less and less so that he might become greater and greater. And what we talked about was the need to really present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, humbly acknowledging our dependence on him, offering up our lives for his purposes, allowing him then to reshape or transform us into the image of Jesus and then being able to put us on display before the world. And again, that is our witness. But what happens? What happens to our witness when we call ourselves Christians and we claim to be followers of Jesus, but we don't look and we don't act like Jesus? Mahatma Gandhi, one of the most respected leaders in all of modern history. He was an Indian, he was a Hindu. Nevertheless, Gandhi had a great admiration for Jesus, and he often quoted from the Sermon on the Mount in his own teachings. And once the missionary E. Stanley Jones asked Gandhi, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear so adamantly to reject becoming his follower? And Gandhi said this in reply, look at this quote. Oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. Wow. See, we can also stand out for all the wrong reasons, can we? Think about this. Apparently, Gandhi's rejection of Christianity grew out of an incident that happened to him when he was a young man he was practicing law in South Africa, and he became attracted to the Christian faith and began pursuing and seriously exploring whether or not to become a Christian. And so he decided to attend a worship service one morning at a church. And as he came up the steps of this large church where he was intending to worship that morning, a white South African elder of the church barred his way at the door. He wouldn't let him come in. Where do you think you're going, Kafer? The man asked Gandhi, and Kafer is a South African racial slur. And Gandhi replied, I'd like to worship here. And the man said to him, there's no room for Kafers in this church. 
get out of here or I'll have my people throw you down the steps. And from that moment, Gandhi said, he decided to adopt what was good that he found in Christianity, but he would never again consider becoming a Christian if it meant being a part of that kind of a church. What a sad, missed opportunity. The influence that man has had in the world, imagine if it had been for Christ. See, the church stands out one way or the other. That church in South Africa that morning stood out for all the wrong reasons, didn't it? Everything it proclaimed, everything it said it believed, it actually denied in its actions. We are called to fulfill the purpose that God has for us as the bride. And what is that calling? Well, simply the church is here to manifest the spirit and manifest the authority of the kingdom of God that has been given to us and the message of the kingdom of God among all the other kingdoms of the world. So we're called to manifest the spirit, the authority, and the message of the kingdom of God among all the other kingdoms that are out there. All the other kingdoms of economics and politics and anything else that you encounter on a day-to-day basis, we are to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We are to proclaim the goodness of the kingdom of God. What's the spirit? The spirit is the spirit of holiness. The fact that we are set apart for God's purposes, that life is about more than accumulating wealth and status and influence, that life is about living in relationship with Jesus Christ and helping others find that truth and experience that freedom and liberty that we just sang about. The authority is the authority that has been given to Jesus who has then been given it to us, which is the authority over all of the demonic and earthly power structures that exist, the ones we interact with on a daily basis. And the message that we're called to manifest is simply the good news about Jesus, what we call the gospel. So let's take a look at a more positive example of what it means to be an outstanding witness rather than the Gandhi incident. And we'll find it in the book of Acts this morning, beginning in chapter 3, just as a bit of a background. Chapter 3 is where we find the story of John and Peter worshiping at the temple, and on the way in they meet the crippled beggar. You remember that story? And what do they do? The man's looking for some sort of monetary charity. And Peter says to him, gold and silver I do not have, but such that I have I give to you. That's an act of witness right there, isn't it? And he heals. God heals the man through that action. And what happens? The man starts leaping and dancing and going into worship. And everybody who knows that that man is the guy who sat by the gate beautiful all of those days seeking charity has now been transformed. He's a different person because of the touch of God in his life. And they're amazed. And that, too, is an outstanding witness. And it tells us that all the people gathered around. And so beginning at verse 12, it says this. I'm sorry, verse 9, it says, All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. All the people saw him. That's witness. And when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. I would be astounded too, wouldn't you? You see something like that? It's not something you see every day. And it says they all rushed out in amazement 
to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. See, something unexpected, what we call a miracle, had just taken place, and it captures people's imagination, and it draws their interest. It becomes the platform by which we can then use the opportunity to witness for God. Now, we might look at our lives and go, well, I've never seen that kind of a miracle. But I would say to you, hold yourself up in a mirror, and you will find the miracle of God. See, we underplay. We always think it has to be dramatic. And so many people are seeking God for the miracle. So many people are seeking God for kind of like the dog and pony show, if I may say it that way, and missing the tremendous miracle that each of us is when we come to faith in Christ. And so the witness is dramatic when you see a blind man or a lame man or a demoniac being healed by God, but we've been healed by God, brothers and sisters. We are transformed. We are not the same as we once were. And so we have a witness. We have a testimony. And if we're willing to speak it forth, if we're willing to live it out, then people will also be astonished. People will also be amazed. And people will listen. It says, Peter saw his opportunity, and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. That's a beautiful summation of what a witness is right there. That tells the whole story, right? What you see, what you witness here is the work of God. In other words, Peter is saying, this is what a kingdom authority looks like. This is the power of God over all of the other powers that exist. This is why Jesus went to the cross and died, so that victory, the victory we just sang about, would come in and be available to everyone who will just receive it. Kingdom authority. It's not, it's not me, Peter's saying. I had nothing to do with this. This doesn't originate in my wisdom. It doesn't originate in my intelligence. It doesn't originate in my creativity. It doesn't originate in anything in me. This is the kingdom authority. Why should this surprise you? Why does it surprise us when we see God move? The God you're supposed to know so well. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God, our Father. This is God's power at work here. He goes on to say in verse 15, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are what? Witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. That's amazing. Something everybody can see, something nobody can deny. But notice what happens, the importance of the miracle is the message that follows it. So God exerts his kingdom authority and power, but it's the kingdom message that Peter begins to explain it with, right? And that message is simply this. There is resurrection life. There is new life. There is rebirth in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came, ministered, was crucified, 
was resurrected and now is ascended to the right hand of God, everything has changed. That's the good news. That's the kingdom message. Not, oh, I get to go to heaven when I die. Yes, you do, but that's only a part of the message. And that's a message. How does that sound when we say that to other people? Most people go, you know, that's nice that you believe that. But if we are proclaiming a message that changes the world, and God backs us up with his kingdom authority and his kingdom power, then you see an outstanding witness beginning to take place. So it's kingdom authority demonstrated, but a kingdom message of resurrection in Christ that's preached. And notice how Peter says it comes by faith. It comes by faith in the name of Jesus, in the power of the resurrected Christ. So the message and the authority go together. They flow in our witness together. And then in chapter 4, you notice here that that kind of preaching, that kind of witness, that kind of demonstration always gets a kickback. So I don't want to mislead you and think, well, if I just go out there and I'm this great witness, everybody's going to love me and everything's going to go so smoothly and so easily. It is not. When you kick the powers of earth in the teeth, they will kick you back. And you have to be prepared for that. So it says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. And these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. We're going to take control of this, they're saying. We're going to make sure that this witness doesn't get out there. But notice this in verse 4. When many of the people who heard the message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. Think about this. We've only had a few months from the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit finally comes down and touches and transforms that group of 120 people who were scared and hiding out in the upper room. From 120, Peter stands up and gives the great sermon of Acts 2, and it says 3,000 are saved. And now just a couple of weeks later, if that, we're up to 5,000. That's a church growth program right there, isn't it? And it has nothing to do with business principles. And it has nothing to do with lights and music and all of those kinds of things. It has to do with the bride of Christ being beautiful. It has to do with us being faithful to the call to be outstanding witnesses of what God has done. 5,000. But here, notice this. Notice what this says very carefully in verse 4. The people heard their message and believed it. And so the number of men who believe. Note that it's the message, and it is not the healing. Get this. It's the message and not the healing that both the authorities respond to and the crowd responds to. See, we always think it's, God, do something amazing that will open people's eyes. The message is the power. Paul says, I'm not afraid of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. You don't have to wait for God to do something amazing through you to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus. 
you don't have to have it all together. You just have to be present to God. The message touches people's lives. It says in verse 5, The next day the council of all the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. This is what's called the Sanhedrin. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples, and they demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? So here's another chance to witness, right? And Peter stands up boldly and says in verse 8, it says, Peter, comma, filled with the Holy Spirit, comma. Now, once you preached a sermon called, comma, filled with the Holy Spirit, comma, because if you look through the book of Acts, that statement, that little clause is repeated multiple times speaking about multiple different people who are ready to be used by God to do something amazing. So if you need something in your life, your prayer should be, comma, filled with the Holy Spirit, comma, with your name in front. Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? I love the understatement there, don't you? Are we being questioned because we get a good deed for a crippled man? Giving him some silver or gold would have been a good deed for him, right? But again, what Peter's doing here is deflecting it off of him. He didn't do anything. And he's pointing it back to where it needs to be. Do you want to know how he was healed? Then let me clearly state, let me witness, let me testify, if you will, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified. That's no way to win friends, is it? The man you crucified, but God raised from the dead. Again, it's the same message. It's the same gospel of the resurrection of Jesus. But do you see the boldness? Do you see the courage that Peter's exhibiting here? Is he saying anything that's not true? Is he saying something that could cost him his life? Does he care? Not one who's already considered themselves dead to Christ and Christ living in them. What more can a person do to you? If you've already died and Christ lives in you and the life you live now, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, which is how Paul describes it in Galatians, then what fear do we have? Peter's willing to put his life on the line for this message, to be an outstanding witness. We're afraid that people won't like us if they hear us talk about Jesus. We need to recapture the holy boldness that makes us outstanding witnesses. We have a life-changing message to share, not just with our words, but with our very lives. He goes on in verse 11 to say, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it? If it really were true that there are many paths to God and everybody can just find their way. Let's face it, that would be nice, right? 
But the scriptures deny that. The life of Jesus proves otherwise. And you can get that message across in a loving and caring way, or you can get that message across in an arrogant way, or you can just not have the conversation at all. Which one do you think God wants from his bride? Peter's repeating the same message. This is the one and only gospel of the kingdom. There is no other message. There is no other authority that saves people. But let's re-understand what saved means. Saved doesn't just mean, again, that I go to heaven when I die. Saved means I get to enter into eternal life now. So it makes perfect sense that you can't have eternal life with Jesus now if there's another way other than Jesus. And so as we demonstrate what life with Jesus, what his power at work in our lives looks like and means, then we should be a beautiful bride. We should be attracting people who are living in a world of pain and suffering and hurt and rejection and violence and hatred because we're showing something different. The message to us isn't individual witness, it's corporate witness. It's us as the church, each living these things out. You'll notice through this whole passage, John never says a thing, but it's important that he's there because God never asks us to do it alone. He asks us to do it together as the body of Christ, as the bride. It says the members of the council, listen to this in verse 13, they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. Remember, Peter just interpreted Scripture for them. They could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. How many of you are ordinary people with no special training in the Scriptures? Guess what? You qualify. Now catch this. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Hint, 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 hint. Here's the key to outstanding witness. They recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Say that with me. Who had been with Jesus. I didn't hear it. Who had been with Jesus. That's it. That's the key goes on to say but since they could see the men who had been he- the man who had been healed standing right there among them there was nothing that the council could say so they ordered peter and john out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves and said what should we do with these men they asked each other we can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in jerusalem knows about it ah but to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further We must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and they commanded them, never speak again or teach in the name of Jesus. Again, the threatened powers are always going to threaten back. But you have nothing to fear. Verse 19 says, Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to, to obey you rather than obey him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. That's outstanding witness. We couldn't do this. We couldn't stop doing this even if we wanted to. We have experienced the kingdom of God, he's saying, and we just have to tell people about it. It just comes out of us. 
And the council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone, listen to this, everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of the man who had been lame for more than 40 years. God is glorified as his people bear fruit and they show themselves to be disciples, followers of Jesus. That's exactly what we see in this passage, right? So let's look just a little bit more closely at what it means when it says they recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. Jesus had stood before this very same group, the Sanhedrin, no more than a few months before. And the encounter that they had with Jesus is still very fresh in the chief priest's mind and all of the people of the Sanhedrin. They remember how Jesus acted. And I would say to you, what did they recognize? I think they recognized three things. The first is they see the very same spirit in Peter and John that they saw in Jesus. And notice, it's a spirit of boldness. It's a spirit of confidence. It's a spirit of courage. Remember, Jesus tells us, he says, look, when you get hauled in before the leaders and questioned, don't worry about what you're going to say. You don't have to worry that you're not going to have the words or that you're going to screw up. He says, because it won't be you speaking. It'll be the Holy Spirit speaking through you. That's what we see here. That's what we saw in Jesus when he stands before the Sanhedrin and before Herod and before Pilate. Boldness, courage, and confidence. The council says these guys are uneducated. They're untrained. Agramatos is the Greek word. It means without grammar, without being able to even function like an educated person. It also calls them unlearned or illiterate. You know what the Greek word there is? Idiotes. <laughs> Guess what word comes from that? That's, but that's how they're looking at them, right? These people are fishermen from Galilee. They're unlearned idiots. How can they stand here in front of us and be so bold and be so courageous and be willing to die for this message? How can they be such outstanding witnesses? So they have the same spirit. Secondly, they have the same message, right, as Jesus. They hear them saying the same thing Jesus said. The good news of the transformed world that comes from the resurrected Christ. That God is doing something amazing. That he is recreating. And the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to God's right hand is the proof of that. Same thing Jesus told them was going to happen. And then lastly, it's the same authority. They're standing there in that same life-transforming power at work. These guys, when they're interviewing and interrogating Jesus, they keep hearing about all the things that he's done, right? All of the miracles that work through him. And it's the same situation here. God has done something amazing through Peter and John, and it says nobody can deny it. All we can do is threaten them, but we have to let them go because otherwise that 5,000 group of believers is going to rise up and cause a riot. So they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus because of the same spirit, the same message, and the same authority. So the question is, is that us too? What about our witness? We stand out as witnesses of Jesus 
when our words, our actions, and our character all resemble him. Peter was just a guy Jesus met along the Sea of Galilee and called him and said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What we see is the fruit of that in this story, right? The crippled man is now one of the fish. The 5,000 are the fish. God has fulfilled his promise to his disciple, to his follower. It's the same for you and I. We stand out as witnesses of Jesus when our words, our actions, and our character all resemble his. And how does it happen? Well, it happens by us being with Jesus. They could see that they've been with Jesus, and people will see that we have been with Jesus when we do a couple of things. First of all, we have to receive his love. We have to actually receive Jesus' love for us because that's where it begins. If you think God is just a mean old God who's just got to bite his tongue and let you into heaven because you said some magic prayer, you've got the wrong God in mind. Jesus wants to see people healed, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. He comes for us to have life, whole life, full life. And we have to receive that first. Before you can tell anybody about it, you have to receive it. You have to really believe it. Secondly, we have to actually absorb his teaching. We have to spend some time listening to what Jesus says. And we have to internalize it. We can't just regurgitate it like a parrot. It has to be internalized and making that difference within our own lives. Thirdly, we look through the scriptures and we actually study his interactions. Because it's not just his words, it's his heart. And it's the manifestation of his deeds that reveal the kingdom to us. And show us how we are supposed to interact. How we can overcome things like prejudices and biases in our own lives. And we can really create or allow God to create what he wants to create in the world as the family of God. And then lastly and most importantly, comma, filled with the Holy Spirit, comma. We have to have that anointing. We have to have the Holy Spirit of the living God within us to be able to produce that fruit. But let me assure you, it's, it's not just the dramatic and public displays of God's work in us, like this healing that capture people's attention and that are able to actually impact lives as witnesses. It's more often, isn't it, just the simple and beautiful expression of God's love to other people? and God's grace to other people. The world is so devoid of true love and true selflessness that the more we demonstrate that in the name of Christ, the more attractive we become, the stronger our witness. So there's a million small things that we can do. And if God should ordain to use us to see a miraculous healing or a deliverance or whatever, praise God for that. But don't wait around for those. Speak like Jesus. Think like Jesus. Act like Jesus. I mean, think about it. How do you think Jesus would have greeted Gandhi on that morning at the church? He wouldn't have called him Kafir. He would have probably called him beloved or brother. 
How would you have greeted Gandhi at church that morning? See, Gandhi also made this statement, powerful statement. He says, if all Christians acted like Christ, the whole world would be Christian. Do you believe that? I hope you do because God believes that. If all Christians acted like Christ, the whole world would be Christian. There's nothing more beautiful than the witness of Jesus. The church isn't always beautiful for sure. Religion is not beautiful in and of itself. But Jesus is beautiful. And Jesus lives in you. If you have accepted him and entered into relationship with him, he is living in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so here's the question for contemplation as we close and prepare to come to the table this morning. Ask yourself this. Does my life reflect the presence and the power that shows that I have been with Jesus? Does my life reflect the presence and the power that shows that I have been with Jesus? If it's your desire that it does, forget your past failures. Don't dwell in the negative. But today, recommit yourself to being with Jesus. Because if it's your desire that your life shows that, it's also Jesus' desire for you. He gave his life, in fact, for this to be your reality. His body was broken and his blood was poured out so that we may have new life, so that we may have resurrection life in him. And he invites us into his presence always and everywhere. And that's what the act of this table symbolizes. It symbolizes the invitation to come and to join him in communion. Because communion isn't bread and wine. Communion is relationship. Communion is intimacy. So here's what I want you to do as we close this morning. I invite you to come and break off a piece of the bread. There's also, if you're gluten-free, there's matzah here. Dip it into the cup, just like this. And then I want you to say something if you feel so led. I want you to say, Lord, I receive your presence and your power. And as you do that, and return to your seat, I want you to take one of these glow sticks with you. You'll see why in just a moment. So as Zoe plays... Come and receive from the Lord. Jesus teaches a principle that says, freely you have received, freely you must give. What we received is the kingdom of God. We have received the spirit, we have received the authority, and we have received the message of the kingdom of God a life-changing, transforming gift. Not because we earned it, and not that we ever could, but because God dearly and deeply loves you. 
But he also dearly and deeply loves your neighbors and your family members and the people of this community that are far from him. And he asks you to carry that spirit and to carry that authority and to carry that message out of these doors as an outstanding witness of the kingdom of God. And he gathered his disciples at one point and he said this, he said, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Take your light stick and break it. And I want you to take this with you and place it somewhere visible in your home so that over this week, this message comes back to mind. Every morning, perhaps, you see it and you carry forth through that day knowing that this is how we glorify God. This is how we bear much fruit. This is how we show ourselves to be his disciples. This is how we demonstrate the outstanding witness that he has called us to. By doing good deeds. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that we have received from your heart of love the gift of life. We thank you that you have brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son you love so deeply. And we just pray, God, that you would empower us by your Spirit and that we would sense your authority in our lives and that we would speak your message of hope and peace and reconciliation to our broken and hurting world this week. We present ourselves to you, God, and ask that you would be very present to us and let your power flow in us and through us for your glory. In Jesus Christ's name, and together we all say, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. I hope you have a fantastic week shining more brightly than you ever have. For Jesus' sake, go in peace.